I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. In today's episode, we have been joined by Angus Australia Commercial Supply Chain Manager, Liz Pearson. Liz has not long returned from a study tour, which saw her take in the commercial production systems in America and Canada. Liz has joined us to give a short overview of her tour and some of the standouts for her during her time investigating the production systems on the other side of the world. Let's jump into our chat now. Welcome to the podcast, Liz, or welcome back to the podcast. You've been on a few times now. The listeners will be used to your voice. You're joining us today to give us a little insight into a recent trip that you did a six-week study tour to America and Canada. Yeah, it was. Um, it actually feels like it was forever ago, but I think I've been back now for about six weeks. But uh, yeah, it's always good to be back on the podcast. I really enjoy these. I really want to, I guess, make a, a point right out the start that it was a really unique uh, trip that I got to do um, a study tour of, of the US and Canada is is something pretty pretty unique. Uh, I get to go to a lot of places, which will share that information with you as we go through this. Um, and I guess really, I'm just very grateful to Angus Australia that that, that opportunity presented itself. So um, yeah, I have to say thank you to Angus Australia for that. But um, yeah, let's get into it. So to start off, can you give us a little roadmap of where you travelled on your trip abroad? Sure can. So it's started out uh, up in uh, in Canada, was at Alberta or at Calgary in Alberta, and then uh, I'll go through some of the the different places later f- further on. And I know there'll be a couple of articles that I've done uh, will come out in the bulletin, the most upcoming bulletin. So that will be be handy. But yeah, started out in Canada, then moved down to uh, Chicago in Illinois to attend the National Restaurant Association trade show with Jack's Creek. So supporting that brand there. And then on down further south to Worcester, Ohio, where the Certified Angus Beef Office is located. And, and that was, uh, I guess, a pretty unique opportunity to get a behind-the-scenes look into the biggest brand in the world, biggest branded beef brand in the world. And then with the, the ranch visits really started. So uh, headed back north up to Billings in Montana to, to Vermilion Ranch, moving further to the west down to Boise, Bliss and Jordan Valley in Idaho, uh, where I caught up with the guys from... Helmick Ranch, Spring Cove Ranch and the Rutans. And then across to, to Oregon, uh, to a town called Rome. Um, it's not really a town, I guess it's more like a service station and maybe a house or two, maybe a trailer park. And, and so some more of uh, Morgan Ranch's places there. Then uh, on to Grandview in Idaho where I went to the J.R. Simplot feed yard. There's 130,000 head, so that was something for a bit of a, I guess, a feedlot tragic like myself, it was pretty eye-widening eye, eye and mind-boggling, which I loved it. Uh, then back across to the east, uh, around about the, uh, close to the centre of the, of the US, to St. Joseph in Missouri, to the American Angus Association office, and spent uh, four or five days there with those guys. Um, it, we work a lot with them and collaborate, and in a lot of projects across, um, whether it's research and development or uh, commercial programs, uh, so it was really good to put or well, meet some people face to face I've been working with for a really long time, uh, and then headed down south into Texas. So to uh, to Dalhart Cattle Feeders, which is right in the top of the Panhandle of um, of Texas, is pretty remote, uh, pretty remote country and um, pretty bare. I would I would say not a lot of trees. So uh, Dalhart Cattle Feeders is a hundred and five thousand head feed yard, but they're also 
Uh, they're owned by a company called Friona Industries, who are the second largest cattle feeders in the world. So pretty, um, pretty unique setup there. Then further down south in Texas to Amarillo and Hereford, which they call the, the beef capital of the world, 1.5 million cattle on feed within a 17-kilometre radius of, of Hereford. So it's, uh, there's just feedlots everywhere, every, every couple of kilometres when you're driving in around the town and around the outskirts of the town. But I, I caught up with Stephen Ginger Olsen there. Um, they're at Olsen Land and Cattle Company too, so they are... There's a, they've got a ranch there as well as Steve being one of the past presidents of the American Angus Association as well as a past president of the Certified Angus Beef Board. And then further south again uh, down to Lockhart in southern Texas to see uh, Langford Cattle Co. Uh, they're about three hours north of the Mexican border so it really was quite a zigzag across <laughs> northern America. Well, just looking at those statistics, particularly in Texas, they definitely do things big in Texas. They sure do. <laughs> so what was the purpose of this trip? So this trip was, um, was a study tour of the commercial cattle industry, really to better understand how commercial Angus cattle are identified, how they're verified or if they are, um, their marketing opportunities, how they market their cattle and then how they're sold through their supply chain. So it was... It's really about gaining, gaining an insight as to what the market drivers are behind, behind those things um, and the influences on their marketplace and how they might differ or, or be the same as ours. So you touched on a couple briefly in your opening sort of statement there, but who were some of the characters that you met along the way? Yeah, there were, there were a few that really do stand out to me um, and and it probably goes along in line with that, you know, it's everything in the US is bigger or even in Texas is bigger. So um, some of them I just want to, I guess I would like to point out. Uh, so Joe Goggins, uh, he's a Vermilion Ranch. So Vermilion Ranch is very well known to a lot of Australian seed stock breeders. Um, they sell about a thousand bulls a year. Um, but uh, so that's Joe and in his family, which is quite a large extended family. I think there's something like... 14 or 16 direct family members working in that business but it's more than just a seed stock business so joe is quite an accomplished auctioneer and um, agent so they put through about 800,000 cattle through their three sale barns and video um, video online sales annually which is huge huge um They've got a 15,000 head feed yard they, where they back around around 45,000 heifers. Uh, a lot of those are heifers they purchase back from, from uh, bull clients. They, they then AI them and then sell them on as PTIC or as they call them, bred heifers. Uh, they got a 5,000 head commercial herd. So, yeah, the list kind of goes on a bit. There's a real estate agency in the business. There's a weekly... Uh, market reporting, newspaper. I guess the best way I would describe the Goggins is, is that it's about as Yellowstone as you can get. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, the, and the Vermilion Ranch just sits on the banks of the, of the Yellowstone River, so it's just it's beautiful. Another pretty interesting characters were Dave and Anne Rattan. So they own Morgan Ranches. Uh, they were, interestingly, the only purebred commercial Angus herd I came across. A lot of their country is what they would call high desert. To most Australians, it probably looks more like what the centre of Australia looks like and you probably wouldn't see a lot of Angus cattle on it. But, you know, they've got 40,000 acres to run 700 cows plus their replacements, so it really does show that yeah. the quality of the country is, is not great. But, um, yeah, they're pretty resilient. Yeah, resilient I was about people. to say, it's a testament to be able to run well angus cattle any cattle in that kind of climate that's right um 
then uh, one that uh, a person I found actually really quite inspiring um, is John Sticker. So he's the president of Certified Angus Beef. And I'd have to say probably one of the most inspirational leaders that, that I've come across. I spent the day in their business. I presented to their uh, full staff breakfast. So it was kind of thrown in the deep end a little bit. But yeah, there's a really uh, very palpable culture of um, inclusion and, and caring in that business, which I think is something really to aspire to. And, and John really fosters that. Um, I mean, it's a huge business. It's a $1.2 billion business to, so to, and, and continuing to grow. So they sold something like, um, I think it was 2018, they'd sold up to a billion pounds of certified Angus beef across domestic and international. So, and, and that's just getting bigger. Um, but yeah, quite, quite an inspiring leader um, and constantly focused on that, their mission, which is surprisingly for a beef brand, is to create more demand for registered Angus cattle. Uh, seems a little bit different to what you'd expect that mission to be, but you know, certified Angus beef is actually owned by American Angus and, um, and that focus is there and, and that's what they're doing. So really inspirational. And then probably a really a more character type person. So uh, this guy, his name is Bronk May. Um, he's got quite the name and he sort of looks and is exactly how you would expect him to. Six foot, six foot um, seven, uh, huge, big handlebar moustache, big cowboy hat, chews tobacco, really twangy voice, um, you know, a real, real American cowboy. Uh, so he's actually the, the custom feeding manager at, at JR Simplot's feedlot. So, you know, looking after the, those cattle coming in of 130,000 head yard, it's mostly a yard of crossbred cattle, but with with a strong influence of Angus, Charolais and, and Holstein. But um, yeah, he uh, even in, I've got a photo with him and, and most people that know me, I'm reasonably tall, I think I'm about six foot and uh, he makes me look tiny. So <laughs> um, yeah, probably not one I'll forget anytime soon. <laughs> so when you look back, what are any similarities in the Australian beef industry and the American and Canadian beef industries? I think, um, yeah, to be honest, I found that there were a lot of differences, but in terms of similarities, I think that focus on eating quality was was really there. Obviously, that's really strong here in Australia, and I think uh, you know their grading system is very, I guess, very sim- much more simplified than ours. They've got a grading system of, of three grades, so it's uh, prime, choice, and select, with prime being the best and select being the bottom bottom tier. And all the way from the seed stock producer, producer, feedlotter, processor, right through distribution and even to the consumer, they all understand what uh, those grades mean. So they might not understand the intricacies of how you, how you hit those grades or um, exactly what the, what the meat specs are, but they know that as a producer they need to focus on certain things to, to, to improve their cattle to, to get that grade. Whereas, and the consumer might understand that they know if they go and buy a steak that is a prime grade steak that it's going to taste pretty special and then select's probably not going to be that great. So that is, is probably something that I think is really important. That while our grading system is really different, that focus on eating quality is definitely similar. What are the most obvious differences between our systems and those in America and Canada? One that really, I guess, kind <laughs> of blew my mind a little bit is that a commercial Angus animal in the US only needs to be 50% Angus. So sired by an Angus bull or it'd be from an Angus cow. Um, they have a, the USDA or the United States Department of Ag have set the definition of what an Angus animal is um, in a commercial space. 
and that is that they pretty much, as long as they're black on their body, so they can have any other colour in front of their shoulder, on their underline, on their legs and on their tail, which is obviously significantly different to what it is here. Um, where you know we're we're sort of a minimum seventy five percent is considered an Angus animal in commercial commercial terms. So that um, that's something I guess I found a little bit confusing initially when we were driving around people's ranches and they were telling me they're Angus cattle and they had you know, white faces and brown legs and yeah. <laughs> all kinds of things. So um, that was probably a key difference um, in terms of their marketplace. They have uh, a very small number of processes in the, in their environment or in their market so they've got four four really big guys so you've got jbs cargill tyson foods and national beef and they really dictate the market yeah um not a lot of competition you know whereas here we've still got some of those big guys but probably seven or eight or ten smaller competitors yeah, um, contribute to the marketplace that's right yeah. so yeah their marketplace is, is significantly different and probably leads to quite a bit of uh what do I say? Rancher negativity because they feel like they, they don't that, that they really are a price taker and there's not much opportunity um, for that. So that was yeah that was pretty different. And then I guess also and we spoke about it briefly the quality of the country that some of their Angus cattle run on. So yeah you don't typically see a lot of Angus running around in the desert, but I certainly saw quite a bit of it there. And you know when they when they say high desert, um, they really just mean desert at a high elevation. Um, there's just a whole lot of sagebrush and rocks and not a whole lot else. Yeah. So, um, or then even as you get down into Texas where there's, there's a heap of cattle, but there's a lot of really just bare flats. It's, it's very flat. And that's probably something else about the U.S. in general and Canada is that there's not very many trees. Yeah, there might be, um, you, you know, you'll certainly see trees in the mountains and, and in, their, in their sort of forestry type industry, but in terms of where where the cattle run and where all the people live there's just not a lot of trees yeah in saying that do you think that has a flow-on effect to the percentage sort of consideration of what a commercial angus animal is could that have an influence on it i'm not really sure possibly yeah it definitely um yeah the environmental factors are, are different so does pose limitations yeah sure does so obviously Australia has seen some severe environmental events that have affected our industry, particularly in the last couple of years. What impacts do things like drought and so on have on America and Canada? Yeah, well, um, as a lot of people would, would know, um, the US and Canada have been suffering through a pretty considerable drought for the last 18 months to two years. They have started to receive some good rain just in the last month and, and speaking with John Sticker just, just a couple of days ago, he said while that rain was good, we certainly certainly need a lot more but it's 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 pretty um it's pretty difficult I guess to just when I spent time particularly my time in Texas where it was so dry and you know you're you're driving around with a rancher and he's doing his drought feeding and and you know it's you know that memory is not so far ago for all of us here um so it was it was pretty easy to empathize with them um and but still a bit sad so they're seeing some really high slaughter numbers of their cows uh, much the same as we did. Their cattle prices are reasonably low, you know, definitely compared to ours. But you know, on the other side of the coin, they actually really like to hear about what our cattle prices were doing post-drought. So I guess that whether it provided a little bit of extra hope um, for them. But, but you know, drought feeding every day, I, I would say that, and it just might be my own perception, that drought in the US looks a bit different to, to drought here. 
obviously there was a lot of country here that just was dirt, um, looked a bit like the moon, uh, whereas there still seemed to be a level of ground cover over there. It, it wasn't much and it was very low quality, but there was still still something. So I suppose you always think it's worse for you. So. <laughs> Some of the other environmental differences that I did see over there, particularly in Canada, were the elevation challenges. So They've got some pretty high, high areas where, when I say high, sort of 6,000 feet and above, particularly in the the western Canada, up into the Rockies, and um, there's a particular issue that that, that they actually test for. So usually the seed stock guys test for it. It's called a PAP test, and it's it's testing basically their, their... their body's ability or their blood pressure is ability to to handle elevation. They they can have a they can lead into what they call um, elevation sickness or it's more commonly known as brisket sickness, where the brisket swells up and they have hypertension, and, and it basically leads to heart failure. So that's sort of one of those things that you know we probably really don't consider here, but something that. Um, if you're purchasing bulls, for example, it might be part of your part of your um, your criteria when you're selecting bulls that they've got yeah. a, a good pap test score to, to breed on from. And something else that yeah we just never consider here to any kind of degree like this, but is just the large predators. So I spending spent some time with Luke Tannis. So he's the president of the Alberta Beef Producers. He's really based at the bottom of the Rockies. I think they've got about 18,000 acres there. Uh, it's not all in the mountains, but a fair chunk of it is. And um, he made the comment to me that you know, his, his cattle really needed to have a level of up and go and aggression to um, basically outsmart and get away from the bears and the cougars and, <laughs> um, and, and the you know, wolves. And there's just so many things up there. So, yeah, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, we're all, we all talk about you know, temperament here, but sometimes they, they kind of need to go a bit the other way. Yeah. So that was um, something really they very, need a bit very of different. Enough. <laughs> Yeah. What were your biggest surprises from your time over there? You know, and we and we just spoke about it, but for me it really was that difference in the breed content, that 50%, 50% Angus and your Angus. And you know, and that's also based on that hide color. It's not necessarily based on, you know, we've got paperwork here using our NVDs. Well, they actually don't do that. So they they just base it on hide color alone to to identify their Angus animals before they move into some of these brands. So that to me was um, yeah, not necessarily saying it's not right or, it's, or, or, it, uh, or it is, but certainly a surprise. Vice versa, when you discussed with ranchers what we would consider a commercial Angus animal, what was their reaction to that breed content? Yeah, actually, I, I had a, um, a really good discussion with a particular producer whose name is um, Art Butler. So they're from Spring Cove Ranch in Idaho. And yeah, his take on it was that uh, it would seem that Angus has turned the Australian herd Angus and the US herd black. Interesting way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, to finish up with Angus, obviously, as much as part of the culinary landscape in America and Canada as it is here, do you have any good food suggestions for anybody headed over? For sure. Um, so, you know, and I have to say this, that, that the certified Angus beef, it is a, uh, I guess, a, a huge brand particularly in the US. But I did enjoy six or seven steaks while I was over there. They were all really good, um, 
cooked well, um, and I would dare to say possibly better than here on the average. Well, what's your, what's, what's your oh, say, man? I know, I know. <laughs> their chefs, you know, really take a lot of pride in in cooking steaks, and you know, and CAB spend a lot of time actually educating chefs and um, distribution and people along the supply chain on how you actually prepare their their product. Um, they've got this huge culinary center that's got a full commercial kitchen, breakdown rooms for carcasses. Um, a big 120-seat um, dining room. So they, they, they really invest a lot of time and effort into into that. And, and it really did show. Um, like I said, they're the largest branded beef brand in the world. Um, a recent survey they did over there said that 98% of consumers understood or, or knew the brand, which is you know huge. I don't really know how you, where you go from there. But I would probably say that... <laughs> Overall, that I didn't, I didn't see that the US was as foodie orientated as Australia. Definitely not as sophisticated as the Australian food scene. And um, yeah, there's a very strong Mexican influence in a lot of American food. So a lot of chilies, a lot of jalapenos, which I generally have to stay away from. <laughs> um, but I will admit, I did. Uh, this is a bit on the side, but I became quite partial to what they would call queso and tortilla chips. So it's like a Mexican cheese sauce that you dip your tortilla chips into. So while it's not beef, it was pretty tasty. Yeah. All right. Well, to um, wrap up the podcast, of all the times you've been on the podcast, we've never actually asked you this, and we've gotten into the habit of asking all of our guests. But Liz, how do you have your steak? Yeah, this is this is going to be a ho hum answer. Sorry, I, you know I love it medium rare, maybe closer to the rare side. Um, definitely got to have salt on it when you cook it both sides, and then again when you eat it, um, salt loves meat and meat loves salt. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it uh, medium rare for me. Sweet. Well, thank you very much, Liz, for joining us today and giving us a little bit of insight into your study tour. And hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Shane. I loved it. It was great. Thank you. Good on you. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in for another one. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go and check out the rest of Behind the Beef with recent episodes featuring interviews with Auctions Plus CEO, Angus Street, industry representatives, Alexis Scandy and Lachlan Woods and Vequinol Australia's Julie Pocock. A reminder that tickets are now on sale via the Angus Australia website for the Verified Black Angus Beef Barbecue Competition, taking place November 26, 2022. The Verified Black Angus Beef Barbecue Competition will take place at the Angus Australia office in Armidale, New South Wales, and is an Invitational Australasian Barbecue Alliance sanctioned championship round event. Members are advised that there is the opportunity to become a team sponsor for one of the 20 barbecue teams taking part in the competition. You can gain access to one of Australia's best barbecue team to learn the tricks of the trade from Australia's best pit masters and become a barbecue whiz. All while interacting directly with potential bull buyers and commercial cattlemen and women as you serve Australia's best verified Black Angus beef. Next up, an important update for members is that Angus Australia is pleased to announce that a number of significant enhancements will shortly be made to the calculation of estimated breeding values for Angus cattle in Australia and New Zealand. The enhancements form part of the annual updates that Angus Australia makes to the Trans-Tasman Angus Cattle Evaluation, 
with the enhancement scheduled for implementation in the December 2022 analysis. Following this announcement, Angus Australia will be hosting Angus Connect Taste Enhancements on Wednesday, November 16. Angus Connect is one of the number of activities planned by Angus Australia in the coming months to explain the enhancements to Angus breeders across Australia and New Zealand. Angus Connect will be presented as a webinar that will provide information to members regarding the upcoming taste enhancements, as well as an opportunity for members to join in discussion with Angus Australia staff regarding the updates. Please visit the Angus Australia website for further information or to register for the webinar. And that's all we have time for. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the podcast and follow Angus Australia and Angus Youth Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll catch you on the next one.